Welcome to the Connect Church Podcast. Our mission at Connect Church is to help people find and follow Jesus. For more information on who we are and how we're doing just that, visit myconnectchurch.cc. Now, let's jump into this week's message from Pastor Blaine. So glad to, uh, to be able to be with you this morning. Uh, glad to be able to worship uh, together with you, to be able to just stand right over here. And I hope, I hope that it's okay. I've thought about switching sides from time to time, but uh, just to be able to watch hands lifted and voices singing, that is so important in worship. Uh, I hope that that's something that we don't ever have to talk about, uh, is the importance of lifting our voice together and not just uh, watching other people perform worship, which I don't know that's possible. But participating is such an important part of readying ourselves for what the Spirit uh, would teach us today. And so I want to ask you, among a lot of places that I'm going to be, Luke chapter 19 is where we're going to, to begin. Uh, the last, uh, man, I wish I had, a, I wish I had a, a dollar for every time I said the last two years. Uh, I'd probably have probably $10, which isn't a lot of money, but that's a lot of times. Uh, to say probably a lot more than that. But, uh, you, you know, you don't sit in the same places every week. That makes it really hard for me. I don't know if there's like a memo that goes out, an email list I'm not on, of a seating chart. So it's really hard to know who's here, who's not here. It's hard to see. I can usually tell who's connecting and who's not connecting by who they're sitting with, those sorts of things, uh, especially for, for new folks, because connecting to people is, is really everything. And, uh, and so I say all of that to just simply say uh, we really value connecting in relationships. And if you're having a difficult time finding your people, uh, well, we're all your people. I hope that this is your church family. But if you're, having a, if you wanna, if you're ready to take a next step forward and uh, don't know the pathway, uh, let, me, let me know. We want to get you started with that. But I also say it to say this. Notice around where you're sitting people who may or may not be here from week to week. I'm going to give you a really quick update. Weekly, we're running about 350 people in the room. And that's, that may not seem like the numbers that we had two years ago. Uh, it's, it's close, but not quite. And the reason that I bring that up is I have a list, a master list that I pray over of families that are connected to our church. That when they attend church, this is the one they go to. These are the, the folks that I get, you know, have conversations with regularly. And I know where many of them are and watching. And, and uh, our church has, has grown exponentially. Uh, to somewhere in the neighborhood of 700 to 750 people that call Connect Church home regularly. Uh, I say that to say that what happens in the room isn't sometimes the most important part of what it looks like in a week. Uh, And so I want to make sure that you're connecting. I also want to make sure that we value uh, commitment and, and being in the room. So uh, this is, I didn't even plan on saying all this today, but it's, it's made ministry quite different than it used to be because I remember a day where people would go to church like every week because they wanted to be with people and they were afraid they're going to miss something. And now we're afraid we're going to miss something else. And so it's made preaching through series like peace very difficult because, I mean, those of you who are married, try listening to one out of every four words that your spouse says, you'll find that communication becomes very difficult. And so there's a lot of things that, that we're a part of as a church, and I want to make sure that you're not missing stuff. So 
Even if you're not here on a Sunday, uh, some of you are like, yeah, I'm, I'm married to them right now. Uh, they only hear about 25%. But, uh, but I just say that just to say I want to make sure that you're staying connected. I want to make sure you're growing in your faith. This isn't just a place to be. It's a place to become. It's a place to grow. It's a place to learn. It's a place to belong to each other. And uh, that's, that's just who we are. So uh, I'm really glad that you're here today. Luke chapter 19, we'll get there in a few moments. But I want to I kind of set some things up first. We are talking about peace, but over the last couple of weeks, <clears throat> I've noticed that there's two kinds of people in the world. You like that one? Mark Twain used to say there's two types of people in the world, people who put people into two types and people who don't. Uh, and so I put people into two types. But uh, those that, when you see a yellow light, there are people who put their foot on the gas and there's people who put their foot on the Break, Yeah, so I have found that I am a gas-footed yellow lighter. Jesus said in John chapter 14, we've read this many times. I'm not going to turn, turn you there. You should have it in your notes. But I think about, so this has happened to me three times in the last two weeks. And now I'm very aware of it, and it's really getting on my nerves. That when I see a yellow light, it's not about what a hurry I'm in. It's about beating the yellow light. Because I'm in a hurry to go nowhere. I mean, what's another two minutes? It's not that big of a deal anywhere I go because I'm usually going to be early wherever I'm headed. So the issue is with this addiction almost to busyness of just being in a hurry. And we become very, very dependent upon always being in a rush and always having multiple things on our mind all at one time. And today what I wanted to talk about was finding peace in the midst of busyness. Now I'm going to use two words and they sound very similar. I'm going to try my best to get through this whole message and not be confusing. But I'm going to talk about the correlation between busyness and busyness. Now I'm from Appalachia, America. And, and I'm going to tell you that sometimes my words sound very similar to other words and context have to give it away. But busyness with a Y is much different than busyness with an I, okay? So we're going to talk about that today, just so if you are confused, uh, somebody beside you will, will, uh, will help you out. Jesus said this is a, at, a, at a very volatile, anxiety-driven moment for the disciples as Jesus is about to wind up his earthly ministry. He said, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you, let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. So I think what Jesus, among other things, Jesus is teaching here is that in our, our natural heart, our hearts produce two things when we are stressed. It produces trouble and it produces fear. And out of trouble and fear come the rest of life. But if we depend upon the Spirit and the transformation of our heart, what will eventually happen is that our hearts that are focused on the Spirit can produce peace instead of trouble and fear. And so a lot of times this is the litmus test for being able to know whether or not you are walking in the Spirit or walking in the flesh. Look at what your heart's producing in any given moment of, of stress or frustration. Look at what your go-to is or what you're able to take back captive uh, in those moments. And I'm not saying your first thought is always going to be, you know, a terrible diagnosis. You go, oh, well, God. No, there's going to be a moment. 
But to be able to have the power to take that thought captive and to know what to do with it is a, is a very, very litmus, a very good test of being able to know if we're trusting in the spirit and transformation or the flesh. Now, I'm not saying that we shouldn't be busy. Busy is good. In fact, I believe that busy is right and busy is biblical. In fact, I put a couple of verses uh, that struck out to me. Ecclesiastes chapter 10 verse 8 says, Through laziness the rafters sag. Because of idle hands the house leaks. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 verse 14. Paul says, And we urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive. You know, he's commanding us there to be, to be busy. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 7, For you yourselves know how you ought to follow our example. We were not idle. And then again in that same passage, he said, We hear that some of you are idle and disruptive. They're not busy. They've become busy bodies. They look busy, but they're not kingdom-minded. They're selfish. They're putting on appearances and trying to keep up with appearances. Psalm 39, 6 says, Surely a man goes about as a shadow. Surely for nothing they are in turmoil. Man heaps up wealth and does not know who will gather. What the psalmist is saying is, is, is whatever busyness accomplishes is wasted on, on people that won't appreciate it. Busyness doesn't produce. But business for his kingdom always will. Busyness Busyness cannot become the goal of our lives. And, and as I, as I uh, evaluate culture, I'm telling you, this is a real undiagnosed issue in our culture. This addiction to being busy. There's a lot of lies about busy that we are buying into and trying to keep up with. It's not all about money and it's not all about prestige. It's not all even about producing. It's about our appearance and how everybody else views our time. Finding it busyness is how many people identify what we do, what we accomplish, and what others see. But the Father's business, that must be our occupation. And there's nothing much said today that I've not said before, just maybe putting it in a different context. But who, who he is this, is, this ought to be a defining, I believe that what Jesus is doing here at the end of his ministry when he's comparing the peace of the world and the peace of, of his kingdom and, and, and telling them, you know, look at your heart to be able to see the difference. I think what Jesus is doing is showing them this, this identity, who he is in us. And, and our ability to reveal him outwardly through whatever means necessary. What, what he sees in us, not what our neighbors see in us or co-workers see in us or the people that we're trying to impress see in us. Learning to, learning to see ourselves by his value instead of the value of those around us. Because I'm telling you that, that being busy has become a, a hot commodity. It has become uh, a... a, a keen value in our culture. In fact, we compete to see who can be the most busy. Busy means to be rightly occupied with things that matter. To be busy means to be on task, to be focused, to be centered, to be driven. Busyness 
leads to emptiness and to frustration because the work itself has become a distraction to self. It becomes a drudgery. And I want you to think about all of the things, all of the compartments in your life, and I want you to find in your life where you're finding meaningful satisfaction in a job well done because it glorifies God versus the things that we do because we have to. Business leads to fulfillment and satisfaction because of the intentional focus that it requires. Did you know that, well, you probably don't know this, but England works on average one hour longer than all of the rest of Western Europe per day. One hour per day longer than the rest of Western Europe. United States works one hour per day longer than England. Isn't that crazy? I remember not too long ago thinking, you know, all of the technology that's coming out and all these time-saving things that we were going to have. And, you know, the work hour is actually lengthening. It's not shortening. Norway, around the world, is known for its production and its work ethic. Their average laborers receive, on average, about 70, 70 vacation days a year. We, around the world, are known as lazy and comfortable and ease, and we have, on average, 10 days a year. We've also learned that there is no such thing as multitasking. Some of you will want to argue about that because you're trying to hold on to how much you can accomplish in the same amount of time. And if you want to argue that is fine, uh, you can, just not with me. Uh, don't, just kidding. I've said for a long time, multitasking can't possibly be a thing. Uh, but people want to hold in there and say that it is. But I want you to take a moment, and I really do want you to hear this. The brain, is, it's not possible to accomplish two things simultaneously. We're not wired that way. Our brains don't function that way, right? So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to really dumb this down. So all of you brain people can correct me later. But you only have a certain amount of gray matter that does the brain function, right? So if you're, so, so I, know, I know some of you are advanced. You can chew gum and walk. I know. But it's the same part of the brain. I hear people say all the time, well, I can do two things at once. I can, okay, well, that's fine. And I don't, I'm not going to argue all about it. What I am going to say is I'm talking about two distinct functions of the brain. Can't, can't practice at the same time. Not at the same level that you need them to. So I know I'm meddling a little bit, but these are important things for us to process together because it, what affects us in our culture eventually affects us in our church. So you, you, get, you get your brain is, is doing two things at once. I'll let you pick what two things you're trying to do at one time. Your gray matter divides in half and half helps you here and half helps you over here. Again, dumbed down version. But you can't possibly accomplish at the same competency And so, yet we might be able to get more done, but it ain't done well. So each each request that the brain has upon it receives half of the power that it's needed. And so to prove our value, we try to accomplish much more than we ever have before, but we're using a lot, a lot less. The new term for multitasking is actually called switch 
multitasking because that's what your brain is actually doing. It takes two different things and it begins to operate this way. Boom, 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 boom. Like, so, so, so instead of being able to like energize two things at the same time, it energizes them just like this and your brain is constantly having to bounce. Now, the reason that this is important is it doesn't take very much science to go out into the real world and to see how often this really happens in life. You ever talk to somebody and know that they're not listening to you? I said, have you ever talked to somebody and know that they're not listening to you? Have you ever been talking to somebody and forget what you were talking about? Because our brains have become addicted to always doing something else. It's always switching to something else. It's like when you're praying at night and you start thinking about a dozen other things. Your brain's constantly in the habit of finding something to switch. And we're sure not, not to get it to switch. It's switching automatically now because we've trained it to. It's why, why our attention span has just become minutes. Our brains are very rarely ever, ever focusing, constantly switching. Uh, intentionality has become affected. What's worse than intentionality is, it's, and this is true in, in everyday life, not just true of, of you. And if you might be, you know, cream of the crop, never really fell prey to the whole multitasking uh, phenomenon, I promise your life is being affected by everybody else who is. I think about a time when if you wanted to study something and memorize something and prepare for something, you needed to be quiet. Now, you can't hardly find anybody that doesn't have earbuds in. Everywhere you go, people are having to listen to music to be able to focus on something. And then they wonder why they can't do it well on a test. It's because it's, you've got to work twice as hard to be able to get into information because before long, you're, you're tapping your foot and you're, wait a minute, I don't even know what I'm listening to. Yes, you do. Your brain knows because it's tapping in beat. It's paying attention. It's just diminished our return. It happens when we're studying the scripture. It happens when we're listening to a sermon, constantly moving, constantly going, constantly having to, because we, we have failed to learn what be still and know that I am God means. We just can't focus anymore. And all the hacks and all the time-saving technologies, it, it continues to take us longer to accomplish what we used to do with less. Not to mention the number of people who are consistently, and those of you who are business owners know this, consistently tapping out of the workforce, out of relationships, out of marriages, out of families. Loyalty and commitment are at an all-time low because we just can't be anymore. We're always thinking about something else, the next thing. Keeping people focused, loyal, committed, on task has become increasingly difficult. Those of you who are school teachers know how you, how you teach kids now and how you used to be able to teach kids is, is not the same. Again, I'm not trying to be an old man. I'm trying to say that advancing some things are excellent, but it's coming at a significant cost. And what's affecting us in our culture is affecting us in our faith. And we have become busy, but not accomplishing anything as disciple makers. It's affected how, with how much intensity and passion we pray. How long? I mean, now we got, you want to read through the Bible? You know, here's, here's a through the Bible in a year. 
Here's a, this a 10 minute this, a five minute that, because we know that your time is very valuable because you're going to move on to the next five minute thing that your brain's switching to. Again, I'm not trying to beat us up. I want us to be aware of some things that I think that if the church isn't talking about it, I don't know who's supposed to. First Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31 says, so Paul says to them, so whether you eat or whether you drink, whatever you do, do all for the glory of God, right? So what, what things should we do for the glory of God? All things, right? All things, everything. There is not a thing in your life that God can't be glorified through. And yet, because of the monotony and because of the multitasking and because of the low attention spans, there's a whole lot of our life that's really turned into meaninglessness. And what I want to do is I want to take that back. So when we think about, you know, we, we need to, in, in every aspect of our life, we need to have the ability to see what God is doing, what God is saying, what God is wanting in that particular moment. And God is sovereign, and your life is constantly exploding with opportunities to find meaning, to have hope, and to have peace. But often we can't see because we're living like this. So think about which kingdom you live for. How, how much of that kingdom gets your, your mind, your attention? your focus, your deliberation. You say, well, I'm not a pastor. I've, I work a secular job, and I can't be about Jesus all the time. And I would say this, and I want you to hear me closely and with a lot of love, there is no such thing as a secular job. There is not a job that does not exist that can't bring glory to its creator. And if you're working a job where there is no glory, you got the wrong job. But you already have known that. To outsiders, busy, business and busyness look the same. There's a whole lot of things, especially in church. So I'll pick on me for a moment. Especially in church, busyness can look like business often. But what you have to test is what it's producing. That's what you test. Not the calendar, not your watch. The effectiveness is what it produces. The person's heart knows the difference. A person's heart knows if it's checked in or not. And you can fake it for a while, and you know that it's not right. You know that you're just running here and there. You know how much more effort it takes to look like you're accomplishing something than it takes just to actually accomplish it? We can suck it up for a while. We can smile through it for a while. But eventually the frustration and the distraction, they pile up and they either blow up or they collapse you. And it always leads to emptiness, depression, isolation, fatigue. But busyness never, ever produces peace. But even in the church world, we pat ourselves on the back for busyness. Look at all the things we did Look at all the things we did. Look at what we accomplished. What everybody else thinks about the things we did. Meaningless. If it's not advancing the kingdom. If it's not producing kingdom fruit. We're just trying to impress people. As believers, 
We are to model Jesus who said, Do you not know that I should be about my father's business? Yeah, there you go. So there's life in doing what God wants for you, and there's death in doing anything else. And so for those of you who are in the workplace, and maybe you struggle with the meaninglessness of your job, I would say this, a job change may not be the thing you need. A perspective change may be the thing that you need. I'm not, listen, everybody shouldn't be doing something else. We should be able to see what God has called us into to be able to know and to be able to find the meaning and to be able to find the purpose and to be able to, to find the people that God has brought us into that place. It's just, it's just using different eyes and it shifts busyness to the Father's business pretty quick. It's the Christian responsibility to discern which one is called for and to be able to identify what in my life, everything in your life is to produce life. And only you know, only you know, and, and you, are the, you are the first fruit. And so if, if, if it's not producing life in you, then you're either out of step with God, what, what God wants or you're not seeing what he wants in this moment. But for those of you who are miserable in relationships, if you're miserable in your job, if you're miserable in your home, this, this misery is coming from a place of busyness where, where you're just going through the motions. What fruit's it producing? We need to learn to ask that question often. And it won't necessarily always change the, the work that's performed, but it will change the eyes that you see it through. It'll begin to tweak you toward the kingdom. You know, those of you who run your own business, it begins to give life to the people working for you. For those of you who work for people, it begins to shift the way you see those that are in authority over you. It just begins to change everything when you see that this is all, this is all the Lord's anyway. How can I advance his kingdom in this moment? It'll change how you see people. It'll, it'll change the, the time that you can devote to listen to people. How long you can put up with people. It'll change even the way you see yourself and the meaning and the purpose that you bring even into the minutia. It'll change what motivates you. In Luke chapter 19, verse 10. Jesus said, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save those that were lost, save the lost. This is the context, the lost. Jesus' purpose in coming was to seek and save the lost. Now, he, he, he continues by giving a parable. The context, most of your Bibles will have a break between these two things, but verse 10 is the context of what Jesus says. And as they heard these things, he proceeded to tell a parable. This parable is a heavenly, uh, 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 meaningful, purposeful illustration to, to, to break down the context of the moment. And so this, uh, Jesus uses the, the context of a, uh, a, a, a nobleman, a, a, a landowner, a, a, a wealthy person, uh, a man of influence who's going on a, a trip. And, uh, and he leaves these uh, minas, these, these, it's a currency, uh, doesn't matter, but the currency represents the, the souls of people. 
and the investment that the nobleman has placed in people and what they are, how they are to invest in people around them. Jesus uses currency as the illustration of it. So as we go, let's read it with that, that mindset. As they heard these things, he proceeded to tell a parable because he was near to Jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. He said, therefore, a nobleman went to a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and then return. Calling ten of his servants, he gave them ten minas and said to them, Engage in business until I come. But his citizens hated him. That word hated doesn't necessarily mean detest. It also can mean do, does not prefer him over any, any other one. It means that they don't really appreciate him. It could also mean they detest him. But it's a really strong word for us. <clears throat> and sent a delegation after him saying, We do not want this man to reign over us. And when he returned, having received the kingdom, he ordered these servants to whom he had given the money to be called to him that he might know what they had gained by doing business. The first came before him saying, Lord, your minah has made ten minas more. And he said to him, Well done, good servant, because you have been faithful in a very little you shall have authority over ten cities. And the second came saying, Lord, your mina has made five minas. And he said, you are to, have, are to be over five cities. And another came and said, Lord, here is your mina, which I have kept laid away in a handkerchief. I was afraid of you because you are a severe man. You take what you did not deposit and reap what you did not sow. And he said to him, I will condemn you with your own words, you wicked servant. You knew that I was a severe man, taking what I did not deposit, reaping what I did not sow. Why then did you not put my money in the bank and at my coming I might have collected it with interest? And he said to those who stood by, take the minah from him and give to him who has ten minahs. And they said to him, Lord, he has ten minahs. I tell you that everyone who has more will be given, but from the one who has not even what he has will be taken away. But as for the enemies of mine who did not want me to reign over them, bring them here and slaughter them before me. Now, I'm not going to preach this passage of Scripture today, but I do want to draw out two quick things. The story is about the stewardship of business. Jesus' business is to seek and to save the lost. That's his kingdom business. And those who have received that kingdom from him are stewards. And as stewards, there, there are expectations in two areas. Number one is the protection of investment. What God has given to us, he expects us to protect the truth. He expects us to protect. He expects us to hold dear. That's what a steward would do is to protect what has been invested but obviously here, you're also to perform a return on investment. You are to invest what has been given to you so that you might glorify the nobleman when he returns. And Jesus is returning. And the things that he has deposited into you, he will expect a return, a protection and an empowerment of it. A return on investment. A what we are to protect, what we are to value, how we are to engage, and whom to whom we are to give it. Now, every other responsibility and every other activity may be good, but often, especially in Christianity, good often robs from glory. 
And I think if Satan could do one thing to the church, he, it, it would, he would limit them to only performing good. Because we're satisfied with good. Especially today, good is great. So we take the things then that must be done and we just turn them into kingdom things. So I want to show you two stories really quickly and highlight two perspectives. Luke chapter 10, if you want to shoot over there. I've always found Luke 10 is uh, really easy to find in your Bible. I like hearing pages turn. Luke 10 is really easy to find. Uh, you just go to uh, Luke chapter 9 and it's the next one. Thank you for that. It's really, it's really sad though uh, that I had to pause for laughter because that's sad. Uh, verse 38, Luke 10, 38. Now as they went on their way, Jesus entered a village and a woman named Martha... I'm going to just highlight a couple of words here. A woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet and listened to his teaching. But Martha was distracted with much serving. She went up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Tell her then to help me. But the Lord answered her, Martha, Martha. You're anxious and troubled about many things, but one thing is necessary, and Mary has chosen the good portion, which will not be taken away from her. So let me just show you just a couple of things very quickly. Uh, Martha is the one who welcomed Jesus into her home, right? She is the leader. There's not much doubt based on this passage that she is the homeowner and Mary is there. Mary and Lazarus, we'll find out later, uh, live there or at least near her. And she, it is Martha, who has opened her home to this dinner where Jesus is the host. But she feels the pressure of the hostess. Mary, the sister is sitting at Jesus' feet from the moment that he gets there, apparently. That's where she spends most of her time, to be quite honest. If you remember, when Lazarus dies, not here, but when Lazarus dies later, it is Mary, when she sees Jesus coming, that comes and falls at his feet. It's a very common place for Mary to be. Six days before the Passover, John tells us that it was Mary... Uh, who, at, when Jesus was here with Mary, Martha, and Lazarus at the house again with a dinner, uh, that Mary anointed Jesus' feet with the uh, oil and perfume and dried it with her hair. So if you want to know where, anywhere Jesus is and Mary's close by, she, she's down there at his feet worshiping him. That's a very powerful place to be. Mary didn't care about the cultural norms she didn't care about women's role. She didn't care about uh, the uh, younger sister's role, if that's maybe reading too much into the text. I'm not sure. But she didn't care about the expectations of other people. She is in a home that her sister owns, that she's responsible for her sister, and there's a lot of people there around Jesus, and Mary does not care what they think about what she's doing. And it changes the freedom that she has. She cared about being with Jesus. 
And every time that we read about Mary, Mary is refreshed in his presence. Martha, on the other hand, is doing good things. She's following the expectations of people. She's making sure that she's busy. Mary is busy with Jesus. Martha's running around with a lot of busyness. Mary left her because it says that. And she, his sister, Mary had... uh, Been helping Martha, Jesus shows up, she shifts from busyness, from business to busyness. I just want you to look at Martha's heart. Martha became distracted. She became distracted from Jesus. She became distracted with the from the joy that comes with serving others to bitterness and to judgment. She even accused Jesus of not caring. And demanded that he correct her lazy sister. It's very similar to what the disciples did when they were on the boat and a storm popped up. And they said, Master, do you not care? You start wondering whether or not God cares about the situation you're in. You're not worried about God at all. You're worried about me, me, me. And that's exactly where Martha was at. Jesus responds that her serving with the wrong heart, had led to distraction. Distraction had led to anxiety. Anxiety had led to trouble and lost focus, and it had brought death to her. And now, the death that was birthed in her is now giving birth outside of her. Mary's receiving life. Jesus tells Martha, and I want us to hear this, that there is only one thing that is necessary. One thing that is necessary, and that's the good portion. Martha's serving is temporary, but what Mary is receiving is eternal. Martha's been doing what's expected in this world and with these eyes, but she's been doing it with the wrong heart. And because she had the wrong heart, she missed the peace of Jesus. Mary forfeited what was Expected. And she began to see life through different eyes. And she received peace. Luke chapter 8. Jesus is exhausted. We've already covered part of this story before. I won't go back into all of it. But Jesus has been performing many days of constant action. Jesus has been serving, teaching, ministering, healing, casting out demons, calming storms. And, and they were all incredibly exhausted, especially Jesus. And then Jesus, as he's walking, he's caught by this ruler who has a 12-year-old daughter who is dying, and he requests that Jesus come and heal her. And on his way, Jesus is redirected by a very strange event. And I'm going to begin reading in verse 42 of Luke chapter 8. As Jesus went, the people pressed around him, and there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. And she came up behind him and touched the fringe of his garment, and immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, Who was it that touched me? And when everyone denied it, Peter said, Master, the crowd surround you and pressing in on you. Jesus said, Someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out of for me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, 
she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him and how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, in his exhaustion that could have very, very easily been busyness from one thing to the next, one thing to the next, for days, one thing to the next, highs and lows. But Jesus said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in what? Peace. I give to you. Not the peace that the world gives do I give to you, but my peace. Don't let your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Jesus is, because of the time in his exhaustion that he was able to spend in the throne room with the Father, in his business, he's able to give away peace. In Martha's busyness, she gives away death. And frustration. In your life, I want you to think about the, the actions of your life. Is your, is your tasks, is your, is your everyday life giving you opportunities to advance the kingdom? And I know the temptation would be to say, no, you don't, you don't know what my everyday looks like. I'm going to tell you this. Let me change it from a sentence to a statement. Your everyday life can offer you opportunities to advance the kingdom if you choose to see it. If you don't choose to see it, your everyday patterns on their best day will lead you to frustration. It leads you to a roller coaster that you can't control. You need to choose the necessary thing the important thing because Jesus gets it and in his business he gives peace and he gives life and you, if you will do his business you will have peace and life and better than that you will be able to give peace and life in a world that's lost its mind or are you just doing busy work just punching a clock just running around, trying to get through it, trying to get home to your ease, trying to get home to your comfort, trying to get home to the whole reason that you go to work anyway for the paycheck or whatever it is. And I'm telling you, life for the Christian is exponentially more important than a paycheck. We need to, what do we need to do to adjust our mindset and to affect who we're actually working for? We don't mind busyness. We like looking busy. We value busy. Important people are busy. We like to one-up people with how busy we actually can be. Busy people are needed. Busy people are running. Busy becomes an identity. Makes us look valuable. Makes us look needed. We complain about being busy. We're teaching our kids to be busy. We call it family time, but we've never been more disconnected as families. Do you remember just two years ago, 
when we were sitting at home playing board games, walking in the yard, walking in the, up and down the, the, the road, spending time together, how much enjoyment we found in the margin of life and how quickly that was taken from us and we've gotten so busy. How many of you got to the end of the day and wondered what you actually accomplished? It's a habit. Busyness leads to worry. Busyness leads to burnout. Busyness leads to the flesh. Busyness leads to me. We even get energized by busyness. I think of in Genesis chapter 1, uh, and I think it's in verse 2 or 3, when the, the Spirit of God hovered over the face of the water. Or some translations say moved over the face of the water. That word actually means to, uh, to, to energize. To, in fact, there's a, there's a verse in uh, the book of Deuteronomy that talks about a, a bird that's wings flutter. It's the same word. It's this vibration of movement. It's where we get the idea of like rest. If you ever had somebody put like a, a vibrator on your back to massage a sore muscle, it's shaking, it brings rest to the muscle. It's the same thing. The Spirit of God hovered over the face of the deep and it began to give life. And we get energized by it, but I'm telling you that busyness that energizes us, it's not energizing, it's a lie. And it leads straight to death. There's a different kind of energizing that comes from the Spirit knowing that you're doing the Father's business. Paul said in Galatians chapter 6, verse 9, do not become weary in well-doing. How many of you are weary by the activities of your everyday life. I'm not saying that you should change what you're doing. I'm saying make sure that you're doing it at the feet of Jesus. Doing it for His glory, not your own. It's just a simple tweak. It's just a mental acknowledgement that's begot- that has to become muscle memory because the flesh is it's robbed so quickly. It's a pitiful thing to be busy but not accomplishing anything. To be busy and to see no results. Busyness does not provide a promise of fruit. And because of that, you'll wait to see fruit that will never come. And you'll give up. But the Father's business does provide a promise of fruit. And you will be able to endure the dryness of seasons because you're on task with the Father and there's meaning in the work itself. So what are you becoming? What are you What are you? What are you helping those around you to become? Psalm 46 says, Be still and know that I am God. And that doesn't just mean settle down. That word be still actually means to knock it off. Knock it off. Stop striving. And know that I am God. And I think we should wake up every morning and just look in the mirror and say, knock it off. Today, this needs to be about the Father's business. Lord, help me advance your kingdom. Let me listen with your ears. Let me see with your eyes. Let me spend time at your feet so that I can be refreshed to be refreshing. Otherwise, it's going to lead you to the end of the day saying, God, do you not care about all the frustrating things that's going on in my life? And that becomes our prayer request. God, you don't care. Will you just do something? And he's sitting there thinking, I'm doing something every second of your day. You just won't take a pause to see it. Subtle. So subtle. 
But you know what? That is the cunning craftiness of the serpent in the garden is this subtle serpent that just tweaks God's word just enough to lead you to death. If you're not careful, you'll fall for it every day. The problem is not the emotion. The number one remedy for busyness is in prevention. Spending time at the feet of Jesus, the good portion. Not just in study, but in all day long, spending time at his feet, spending time in his presence. Last week, Pastor Billy spoke about uh, Jesus just around the corner. He spoke about catching glimpses of Jesus. And as I was listening, I, you know, sometimes it's really hard to notice glimpses when you're distracted. So as long as you allow the distractions in your life, you may not see glimpses. And I'm telling you, we need to create margin in our life so that we have the ability to pause for a glimpse because he is the direction that you should be walking. And he is allowed for your life so that you will have as many glimpses of him as you want. There are always going to be distractions in your life. But you need to choose the good portion. There's something holy about creating margin so that you can catch a glimpse of the very reason that you're alive. Don't feel guilty in being still and knowing that he is God because it's the refreshing that the world needs. Jesus is not a genie that's going to show up and slow everything down for you. But he is a God who will give you eyes to see the things in your life that might be robbing you of his life. In John chapter 12, I'm going to close with this. In John chapter 12, um, I said that. There's one more verse in Romans chapter 8. I kind of wanted you just to focus on. Go ahead and turn over to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, verse 6. In, in John chapter 12, verses uh, 1, 2, and 3, it's the, the telling of, of Mary anointing Jesus' feet with oil. Uh, John is the only writer that names her. Uh, but I said that I didn't want you to turn there, but I'm going to turn there. I see that <laughs> I need a table, don't I? John chapter ten, or John chapter twelve. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Now listen to this. So they gave a dinner for him there. Now before they had a dinner, but here the original language says a dinner in his honor. This is a much different dinner. The next thing says, Martha served, and Lazarus 
was one of those reclining with him at a table. It's two different times that Jesus is having dinner at Mary and Martha's. The first time, Martha is busy with all the people and all the expectations. But here, when Jesus is being honored, Martha's still serving. Perspective completely changed. Now she finds meaning in the perspective. Now, her being at the feet of Jesus is her serving Jesus. I love when people learn. Romans chapter 8, verse 6. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. Memorize that. Set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. There is not a moment in your day where you can't set your mind on the spirit. Let's pray. Father, we love you and thank you for this time together today. Thank you for your word that is so life-giving. And this morning as we come to the close of our time together, I just ask that you be glorified and you be lifted up. That I uh, pray that your spirit would break us of busyness and, and help us to, to value our identity in you and not what others think about how we're performing. I pray that we would find meaning and purpose in being about your business, advancing your kingdom, your life, your peace. I pray that our hearts would be quick to know the difference between business and busyness. And may we occupy until you come. May we be good stewards that are protecting your investment and good stewards that are having a return on that investment. And may we give up the applause from people. And we live for the applause of one. And may we sit at his feet. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I want us this morning to just, just just for a moment, just take a moment. I know right now, listen, the whole time we've been together, people were thinking about what we're getting ready to do next. Let's just stop. Just be in the moment. And just listen to what the Lord would say about the margin in our life, about the purpose that he has for us. Make sure that we're not just going through the motions of prayer and going through the motions of invitation, but literally listening to the voice of God and knowing that our life has purpose if we just sit at his feet. And everything that we do has kingdom meaning, kingdom investment. And I'm telling you, the peace that God gives will push the busyness of life away. Father, our prayer is to have more of you. Our prayer is to to see you more, to see you in the minutia, to see you in the shadows, to see you in the crevices, to see you at just at the, the, the reach of our hand, the reach of our words, to be able to know that everything that we say and everything we do reveals what you are doing in us. And so, Lord, help us to recognize that our our busyness is a habit, it's a lie. And help us to take that busyness and turn it to your work. And now work is worship. Being a neighbor is worship. Being a husband, being a a, a wife, being a, a child, being a parent is worship. Putting up with frustrating people is worship because we have filled ourselves with your presence. 
And so we have your presence to give. Lord, help us to have a quickened spirit to your truth. And may we go in peace. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you need help finding or taking your next step, send us a message at hello at myconnectchurch.cc.